Happy New Year, everyone. Go ahead and have a seat. It is so nice to be up here with you guys and see you all. Yay, first Sunday of the new year. I can't, I'm just so excited to be up here with you guys. And I'm Marie and I'm the children's pastor. And uh, we are now here uh, for the very first Sunday. And if you don't know me, I am married to that guy over there. Now, I think you all know that, right? But just last week, someone said, do you know that Nuffle guy? And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. And I have two children with him. So we have two adult children now. I can't believe we're at that phase of our life that we have two adult children. And I wanted to share on this first Sunday of the new year with you something that I am super passionate about. And that is our kids and our youth. Man, when I first thought about what to say tonight, I thought, who am I, man? If I went back and as a parent of adult children looked at my kids, I might hit the redo button on a few things. There's some things I might change up. There's some things I might do different. When I first became a children's pastor, I was in my early 20s. And I went to this church and they said, Marie, you should teach a class on parenting. And I said, "Uh, okay. So I did all this work and I got all these books and I was really sure of myself. And I did this class, 10 things you have to do as a parent. And then I had my first baby. And I realized I knew nothing. And it probably should have been like 100 things you maybe ought to try. I don't know. Parenting is hard. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's messy. It's smelly. It's scary. It's really, really hard. It's the hardest thing we do. And yet, there's so much joy. It's like a big roller coaster. And I think those feelings translate to when we think about the next generation, too, whether you're a parent or not. Thinking about our kids and teenagers is all wrapped up in amazingness. Now, my oldest child, Kehlani, got married last Christmas, and we were so excited for her. She married a wonderful guy named Christian. His mom actually comes to church here, and we're thrilled for them, but he's in the Army, and so they moved to Fort Benning in Georgia. And so for Christmas this year, this was the first Christmas in her entire life, she wasn't home with us. And so we sent, thank you, Jesus, for Amazon, we sent them a lot of gifts through Amazon. And so we sent them two things in particular. I sent them a little travel suitcase, and I wrote a note in it, and I sent them a jar of marbles. Now, Christmas Day came, and she wasn't there. She waited a couple days later. She opened up the suitcase, and inside it was a note. Place this suitcase in Levi's room. Now, because my son-in-law is in the Army, and babies do at Easter time, he is probably going to be deployed when baby comes. So they know it's a boy. They've named this boy. They've done everything so Christian can be a part of it before he gets deployed. She said, Mom, why do I want to put a suitcase in the baby's room? And I said, because from the day that this baby is born, it's like you're packing their bags to leave. I said, and someday they're going to look you in the eye. They're going to pack their stuff. They're going to say goodbye, and they're going to move out of your house, just like you did to me. And she laughed, but I wasn't kidding. (laughs) You see, I think this first Sunday of the new year, it's really important as a faith community, we talk about our kids. We talk about our youth because they grow up so fast and they leave us. And God has a plan for them and we're part of it. Now, I think what I can say today can relate to every one of us in here because I know two things about us. The first thing is at one point, you guys, you were all kids right? Even if it's been a really long time for some of us, we were all kids. 
And the second thing is that at some point you all had parents or someone who parented you, right? Those things existed. And so whether you are an actual parent, whether you are a grandma, whether you are a grandpa, whether you are a beloved auntie, or whether you just know a kid, there are things that I think you can pick up from today. Now, there are two truths that coexist in the world. One is that no one has the influence that a parent does for the potential in a child's life. You just have more time with them than anybody else. You have this innate longing inside of you to take care of them and to love them. And that's really powerful. But there's a second truth that's just as important, that a parent is not the only influence in a child's life. There are other people, good and bad, that influence your child, and we want it to be for the good. So now these marbles. First thing my daughter said was, Mom, you know, they're kind of a choking hazard. He's only a baby. <laughs> and I said, I want you to think about this in a new way. This is approximately 936 marbles. 936 is the amount of time from birth until approximately a child graduates from high school. You have 936 weeks to influence a child. And I told her, as I told my parenting class recently, right, this is when you have the most influence in a child's life. And so I want you to see time in a new way. I want you to realize how precious time is, and I want you to count it one week at a time. Now, this isn't a new concept. Actually, it talks about it in Psalms. This was part of Moses' prayer that David wrote down. And he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. When we see how much time we have left with someone, we value the time we have now. We can be smart about time. Because here's what I know from this. Every single week matters. Every week we have with a child. There's no disposable weeks. They all matter because they all add up. Here's the other thing, though, that I know. Collectively, time matters. Time over time. We don't have to do this parent thing all in one week. One week is not enough. It's time over time over time over time. Now, my office here at the church is like right over there where Nick is, like in the corner but down below. And I'm kind of behind the elevator, but I'm right next to the fellowship hall. And it used to be that KCS's band practiced in the fellowship hall. Oh, it's really rough. Oh, so glad we have the new building. But when the fourth graders got their instruments for the very first time, it, it was something. <laughs> I just thank God for Mr. Wilcox and Mr. Kanakanui because it was something. And by the end of the year, it got better. And by the time they got to be an eighth grader, ninth grader, tenth grade, it sounded really beautiful because time over time over time, there's a momentum, there's a collectiveness to it that matters. See, we can use time as a platform with our kids knowing that we have this, and we can leverage this platform for really amazing things. The things you do week after week after week with kids and teens makes history. Now, nobody knows you're making history when you actually make it, do they? No one set out to go, I'm going to make history this week. 
You just do time over time over time. Now, I don't know what kind of parent some of you are or some of you were. There's so many types of parents these days. There's attachment parents. There's free-range parents. There's authoritative parents. There's permissive parents. There is helicopter parents. And then the all-famous tiger moms. But I do know what kind of people we are. Here's what I know. We are endowed and created in the unique way, in the image of God, our Heavenly Father. All of us. And when there is a child in our life in any way, we are blessed. We are blessed. Our own kids, our grandkids, a nephew, a niece, a kid down the street, you are blessed when there is a child in your life. And so I would like to share with you today five things that I think, not I know, but I think really impact kids and teens over time. Now, the first thing, you're going to be like, Marie, that's so obvious. We know that. And I'm going to tell you, I know you know that. But I'm going to tell you anyway, and I'm going to ask you to think about it in a new way. The first thing that kids really need over time is love. Love. Yep. Love. It's a great thing. Don't we all love being loved? It's amazing. I'm going to ask you to think about it, though, in a different way. How do you know that you know God loves you? How do you know that you know that God loves you? How do I know that God loves me? I know God loves me because he showed up for me over and over. When I made bad decisions, when I made good decisions, when I have been healthy, when I have been sick, in the lives of my friends, in my own life, he loved me before I was even a Christian. In fact, the Bible says he loved me while I was inside my mom's womb. I know that God loves me because I have the word of God that shares the stories for generations over and over and over again, how God showed up for us how he relentlessly pursued us. He loves us, and I can look at it in his word. See, God leveraged time to show up for us. I have a question for you. I had a kid ask me this one day, and it's always stuck with me. So when Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, and they created the very first sin, why didn't God just handle it at that moment? I mean, he's God, right? He he knew what to do. He knew what was going to happen. Why didn't he just handle it at that moment? Why didn't he fix Adam and Eve with Jesus at that moment? Do you think it could have been because he wanted to teach us something over time? God uses time. I mean, he gave Abraham a son. He set Joseph in jail. He sent Moses to deliver a nation. He made that nation wander around the wilderness. And have you ever thought, if God uses time to clarify and solidify certain values in our hearts over time, then how we use time over time may be the best way to cultivate what matters in the hearts of our kids and teens. Do you know how we teach a teenager that we love them? We show up for them. You know how we teach a kid that we love them? 
We show up for them over and over and over again. See, because love over time does something amazing. It gives us worth. We are valued when someone shows up for us. We are valued not just because we are created in the image of God. We are valued because God ran after us. He pursued us. He came and did amazing things for us. And we have value because of that. Now, my son, our son, we're claiming him both today, plays football for the Rainbow Warriors. And I don't know if you knew this, and I'm sure you did, but Nofu and I were not here on Christmas Eve because our church believes in families. And so with several other friends from the church, we were at the uh, Hawaii Bowl game on Christmas Eve. And my husband, who is probably loves football, like just like a smidge below us and our kids, right? So has to be there an hour and a half before the game starts because that's when the doors open, right? So we get there, we get our seats, we're on the opposite side of the field. So Michael wasn't exactly sure where we were sitting. So he comes out of the tunnel, all the players, there's everything going on. It's an hour and a half before the game. He, and I can see him looking for us in the audience, but he doesn't know exactly where we are. And we watch him because we see him. He's got a big number on his chest. We know where he's at. And it's not until he's actually out on warming up and he looks over and you can see he recognizes this because he goes like this. That's it. (laughs) That's all I got. (laughs) But then you could see him calm down and get into the flow of the game. And he never looked at us again. But the minute the game was over, after the high-fiving and cheering, he knew that we would be at the bottom of the stairs and he ran over and he gave us a big hug because he knew that we would show up for him because that's what we do, because we have value in him. We love him. We're there for him. It's super simple. Let's be there for our kids. If you're a leader in this church, be there for our kids and teens. If you're a friend, be there for our kids. If you're a Sunday school teacher, be there for our kids. If you're a parent, be there for your kids. And you're like, Marie, they won't leave us alone. They, I have to feed them breakfast and everything. But be there for them emotionally. Be there for them physically. Be for them spiritually. And be there with your attention. Now, our daughter, Kehlani, when she was little, had a lot of words. Not surprising, Nuffle and I have a lot of words. We had a lot of words. And I took her, I'll never forget, she was in kindergarten and we went to church to set up for a function. And she was wandering around and she's talking a hundred words a minute and I'm honestly not paying attention. I'm physically with her, but I'm not paying attention. And she comes up to me and she goes, mom, look at me with your eyes. Hear me with your eyes. Because she knew I wasn't. She needed that. Our kids need us to be present. You know who was present for us? Jesus. He could have done it from heaven, but he didn't. He chose to come down. He chose to be born in a very difficult way, to walk a really hard path on this earth, to go through all kinds of stuff for us. Why? Because he showed up for us. And he gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be with him forever. It's really simple. Let's just show up and love our kids. Next thing I think kids really need is words. Words. Words over time are so powerful. What we say, how we say it, what is in our brain is so important. Do you know you can't paint a picture? You can't do a math problem. You can't get directions. You can't do almost anything without some form of words. 
Every word you speak to a child is either positive or negative. And it matters what you're saying, and it matters how you impact them. Do you know the average teenager? This just makes me sad. The average teenager hears one word of affirmation for every seven words of criticism. We can never overpraise our teenagers. Never. We just can't. It's not humanly possible. They need us to say positive things. Now, I love preschoolers. I love your elementary age kids very much too, and I love our babies, but I love preschoolers. They're messy. They're drama-filled. They're quite emotional. They're quite honest. They're quite joyful. They are just outstanding human beings, and they just want to know everything in the world, and whatever you say is amazing to them right? They're just awesome little beings. And if you ever want pure joy, come volunteer in the, nurse, in the preschool ministry because it's so fun. But preschoolers need a certain number of words from adults to actually map their brains so that they can be successful adults. If we don't give kids enough words when they're little and the right words, they're going to have a hard time finding the right direction in their life. Knowing the right words helps you understand faith. Now, the last song we sang was a lot about grace, right? Grace is one of my favorite words. I have two, joy. I sign everything joy because I think joy is really important and grace. So I have a women's Bible study I lead on Thursday mornings and some of you guys are in here in this room. I love my women's Ohana group. Um, And this fall, we studied a little bit about grace and I learned something new And if I was misinformed, then you come tell me afterwards. But Wendy, who's in our group, told me, we're talking about grace, that originally in Vietnamese, there was no word for grace, that it did not originally exist in the Vietnamese language. How do you understand what God did for you? How do you understand how his grace washes over you? How do you understand to run to him if you don't have that word? Words are really important. Words over time give us direction. They show us how to live. One of the greatest things I think our children's and youth ministry here at the church does is give your kids a safe place to ask questions about their life, about God, and have people who will listen to them. You would be pretty shocked at what your kids tell us, by the way. We listen. We don't judge. Um, They tell us what's going on at home. They ask us deep theological questions. Sometimes I have to go in and go like, okay, I have a master's in theology and I don't know. So let me look it up for you, bud. They ask great things. And then they tell us sometimes, mommy and daddy are fighting. And they tell us who's bullying them. I asked downstairs, uh, Sabrina, who's downstairs teaching this morning. She's a senior in high school. And I asked her, what's the hardest thing a kid ever said to you? She said, last week, so-and-so, I'm not going to tell you who it is, told me that they didn't have any Christmas. (coughs) And I said, that was really hard, wasn't it? She said, yeah, I want to figure out what I can do about that next year. She's 17. She's amazing, by the way. Words over time matter. There's another thing over time that really matters, and that's stories. I love stories. Do you guys like stories? Stories are amazing because they help us take information in. Actually, if I gave you a whole bunch of facts right here, you'd be like, okay, that's great, Marie. But if I give you stories, 
it becomes part of who you are. You can empathize with it. You can understand it. You can see it. And our kids need that. We need to expand their imaginations. We need them to become people of empathy. Now, you may have, I don't know, people have different views on this person, but I'm going to just tell you something she said because probably, arguably, she is the most prolific writer that affected this last generation of kids, and that was J.K. Rowling's. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Harry Potter, but it's out there. So, um, but she said this, that the only species that can imagine themselves in someone else's shoes are people. We're the only ones. And when we give stories to our kids, we help them walk in somebody else's shoes. We help them dream bigger dreams. We help them see the bigger story. Stories are really important. I think stories are also a key to faith because if you understand the stories of the Bible, you understand faith. Now, here's something interesting. Did you guys know, did you really know that every story in the Bible is true? Every single story in the Bible is true. The good ones and the hard ones, the messy ones and the happy ones, they are all true. And when we teach our kids these stories... We help them see who God is and how he loves them. But sometimes we teach these stories maybe inaccurately. We paint them as these perfect pictures, these model families that are almost unattainable. So I thought right now, you guys in your brain, who is a perfect family in the Bible? Think about it. Who would you think? Adam and Eve? Okay, so there was some sin. (laughs) And then there was one brother who killed another brother. So they're kind of messy. Maybe not them. How about who else would be another really good family? How about Noah, right? Noah, I mean, he built an ark. He rescued all these people. It was super amazing and cute. Oh, yeah, there was that whole drunkenness and debauchery at the end. Okay, so maybe him. Not him. He's kind of messy. Jacob and Esau, two brothers. Oh, yeah. Kind of conniving mom and a naive dad and lifelong sibling rivalry. Really messy story. Um, Joseph? No. See, Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, and there was a great reunion at the end. Not so great in the beginning. Hmm. Who else? I know. We just had Christmas. Mary and Joseph, right? They've got to be the perfect family. They gave literally birth to the Savior of the world. Oh, yeah. You know what we're studying about today in cakey ministry? I'm up here. You know what they're teaching downstairs? Um, How Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for three days in the temple. Now, talk about free-range parenting. (laughs) Like, they literally did not know where he was for three days, okay? When I hear these stories of Jesus and I hear these stories about families, it makes my family seem really good. And I love that because when we look at all of these amazing stories in the Bible and we realize they were real people, we can see that God never expects us to be picture perfect. In fact, he uses broken people to make his perfect plan. And I can be a big broken person and I can be part of God's plan. Do you know what my prayer is for our kids and our youth? Not that they become perfect people because that's not possible. We've all sinned. It's that when they mess up, when things get hard, when things don't turn out like they want them to, when they don't feel heroic and they just can't do it, that they know their God is there for them. 
that the stories are big enough in the Bible to include them. We don't have to be picture-perfect people. We just have to be people who believe in our God. There is redemption for families. There is restoration for families in the stories that God gives us. Teaching our kids the stories of the Bible gives them an up-front, first-row view of grace. And I can't think of anything better that we can do. Stories over time give us perspective. They help us understand. They help us become part of that story. Okay, I have a couple more things I want to share with you that I think kids really need. Now, this one I'm going to tell you, and you're going to be like, Marie, I don't know about this one. Really? And I'm going to say, yes. I think it is, you might even say, not super spiritual. I'm going to say it's one of the most spiritual things that we do. You know what that is? Ready? Big one. Here we go. I'm pointing to Tim back there. Sorry. If you want. I am interactive. And like with kids, they actually talk back to me. So I keep waiting for you guys to talk to me. So Tim will talk to me, okay? Fun. Fun. Fun is so important for our kids. And you're like, seriously? And I'm like, uh-huh, because that's what the Bible says. Proverbs 17, 22 says, a merry heart does like good medicine. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible, out of Psalms 28, 7, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Fun is really important. We need to laugh more. We need to have more fun. Maybe as a parent, you need to dance a little bit more. Maybe you need to go play games a little bit more. Maybe you just need to hang out and laugh. Fun is important, and please don't make the mistake that fun is a waste of time because it's not. Because fun over time brings connection, and we want to be connected to our kids and our teens. Fun over time connects our kids to believe that we actually like them. They probably all know we love them, right? But we're busy people, and so we're like, we're feeding them, we're taking care of them, we're showing up for them. But when you have fun with them, they know that you like them. Here's another one that I think is so powerful with fun. Fun over time authenticates forgiveness. You can't fake forgiveness. It's really hard. You can't. And if you're having fun with a child, it begins to break those walls down when you've had a break. Fun over time reestablishes your connection with them. And so if you want a lasting, trusting relationship, if you want to have great influence in your life, then you need to have fun with them. So as the first Sunday of the new year, I want to encourage you about something. I would love to see every single person in this room schedule something fun this month with a child. Now, if you have your own child, great. If you have your own grandchild, that makes it easy. If you don't have kids in your life, my email address is marie at kamikichristian.org. Email me, and we have a boatload of kids who need someone to go do something with them. Schedule something fun with a kid. You know what? Cameron at kamikichristian.org, if you like teenagers, he would be happy to hook you up with somebody. Do something fun with a kid. The last thing that's super important in the life of a kid is that we give them tribes. And you're like, tribes? What is that? It's just a word for a group of people that we hang out with. Tribes are people in our lives that we give influence to. 
tribes are your Sunday school teachers. It's the people you hang out with. It's your families that you spend time with. Because remember in the very beginning I said, there are other people your child needs. How about putting those other people in their life who you know and who matter? One of my favorite things I saw on New Year's was Quan and Charlene had a party. Quan and Charlene um, probably had 50 people at their house. It was really fun to see it on social media. Quan and Charlene just came out of my parenting class that we did, and so I knew where they were going with this. And it was so cool because these kids knew that they belonged because tribes over time give you a sense of belonging. So bring people into your life, trusted friends, hang out with other people, Send your kids to Sunday school. Send your kids to youth ministry because other adults in their life matter. Now, when my son was in high school, I'll tell you this one last story. We were really present with him a lot, but we would drop him off at all his practices. And so we would drop him off and he would get back in the car and he would be willing to talk. And he'd say, oh, Coach Ike said, I need to drink more milk. Coach Rich said, I need to get eight hours of sleep a night. Coach Cameron said that I have lots of potential and that if I work hard, I can do anything I want. And I was like, um, I told you that over breakfast. <laughs> but somehow they stop listening a little bit as they get older and other people's influence. But because I knew that our tribe was good, the people I put around my kids was good, he listened and he grew strong and he drank his milk and doesn't now, but whatever. <laughs> so... As I call up the, the worship band for our last song, I just want to say this. I know parents. I know a lot of parents over my lifetime. And I have never had a parent come up to me and say, I just really want to be a bad parent. Or bring their kid to the nursery and like, high five me, I'm going to so mess up this child. <laughs> they just don't. And so I want you to know that I know, that we as a church know, that you guys are doing a good job with your kids. Why? Because you're here. Because you're already bringing them to a faith community. I know you are working hard to make them feel belong, sense of belonging, that you're trying to give them perspective, that you're giving them love, that you're giving them fun. And so I want to high five you for that wherever you're at in the journey, because it is a lot of work to be a parent. I'm just going to encourage you, maybe do a little more, be a little more intentional, try a little bit harder because it matters. And then for the rest of us church family, I'm just going to call you out because it's the first Sunday of the new year. We need you. We need you to be in the lives of our kids and teens. We need you to care about them, to have conversations with them. We need you to have fun with them. We need you to show up for them. We need you to be their Sunday school teachers. We need you to come when we have great times. We need you because they need to be the next generation that knows God. And so will you come and will you be with us? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. That you showed up for us, God. You showed up in the right time. You taught us along the way so that we would know how much you care for us. Lord, I just ask that you be with us as we begin to reach this next generation. Help us to be the best parents we can be. Help us to be the best grandparents we can be. Help us to be the best aunties and uncles and friends of families that we can be so that this generation of kids, that this generation of youth 
have a faith community, have people around them who will share your stories of love and redemption and relentless pursuit. I thank you for this church family, Lord. I thank you so much that we are a place that can say we love our kids. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.